Hey, this is Greener Grass, a podcast. We are your hosts, Carrie Lee and Kelly McVeigh, now part of the Digitant family of podcasts. How's it going, guys? I hope you're having a wonderful day. Um, check the show notes, uh, become part of the family, opt in for our newsletter. You'll hear more about our guests and what we're up to. And today, so excited to have Don Reynolds. He is a sergeant major and former infantry unit leader for the U.S. Marine Corps. So he had a winding road to where he is now. He's so inspirational. He uh, gave his parents quite a headache when he was younger, aimless, um, not really knowing what was his future. And then he found uh, he found the service and the Marines. So this is an amazing interview with him and Kelly. Let's get started. So hello, everyone. This is Kelly McVeigh, your host of Greener Grass, and I'm minus Carrie today, but that's okay because we have um, a big guest that will have lots to say. Um, you know that I'm a networker in general, and I have the amazing opportunity to watch his wife grow an incredible business. She's a powerhouse and a badass herself. She's definitely probably someone I have to have on. Um, and I got to meet her husband through um, some things that I was doing with her and just was shocked because he's so motivational. I started following his Instagram, which we will definitely connect you to so you can kind of take a look at everything that he's doing. Um, but just his motivation and the way that he portrays and shows the aspect of the life of being in the military is um, inspirational, I think, in a lot of ways. And just even how he navigates his family and even how his wife navigates that that relationship and moving forward. And I know how passionate he is about his job. So I'm excited today to have Don Reynolds. He's Sergeant Major in the United States Marine Corps. So Don, welcome to Greener Grass. Thank you. Okay, so I'd like to start off just by telling us, tell us a little bit, and I this is always a blank slate. The listeners know this, but like I don't know. I didn't stalk you. So where did you grow up? Um, and what did your what did that look like that probably led you to the space that you are today? Oh, that's like a that's a story in itself, but um I'll keep it brief. I grew up in a town right outside of Philadelphia, like five minutes outside of Philadelphia. Um like a suburban town, working class town. Um, <clears throat> I was a good student all the way up until I hit middle school. Okay. And probably about seventh or eighth grade. And yeah. then I started kind of, I heard uh, rap music for the first time and I started running around with the wrong crowd. Yeah. Um, so I started to get into a lot of trouble. Um, kind of had a dad. My dad was a uh, biker, big biker. Um, yeah. So very much discipline, a lot of discipline, a lot of stuff like that. And then I kind of rebelled back. Um, and my father was kind of like the guy that would keep me in check because he was like, if you can imagine a combination of looking like Dog the Bounty Hunter and yeah. Hulk Hogan, he looked like that. We look nothing alike. He's a big blonde haired, long blonde haired guy, big beard, rode yeah. Harley Davidson's. And um, so he was the guy, his presence would kind of keep me in check. He got into a major motorcycle accident in um, 1999 and okay. it, laid him, it laid him up. So that was my senior year of high school and I didn't have anybody there to kind of keep me in check. Got into a big fist fight with my, my um, girlfriend's boyfriend. My girlfriend uh, caught him with another guy, got into a big yeah. fight. I got arrested um, and I spent uh, my... A couple of weeks out of the summer between junior and senior year in a juvenile detention home. Yeah. Uh, so coming back into senior year, you would think that that scared me straight, but it only like emboldened me. I came back to high school and I was like the coolest guy now because I spent the summer in jail like a bad boy, right? Yeah. Um, so at the beginning of the school year, a Marine Corps recruiter walked up to me and he kind of saw me bouncing through the hallways. Uh, I wasn't in class and class was in session. And I think he keyed right in and he said like, come, you know, he basically said this, he said, come here, idiot. So yeah. I walked over to him and he said, what are you doing when you graduate high school? And I said, and I kind of looked him up and down and I said, I, I don't know, you know, and uh, he said, you ought to think about the Marine Corps. And he handed me a business card that, you know, with his contact information. And I remember looking at it and like a total punk, I looked at the card, I laughed and I flicked it back into his face. And I said, like, you must be kidding me. Right. And to his credit, he picked it up off the ground. Um, and he handed it back to me 
And he said, boy, you need the Marine Corps more than the Marine Corps needs you. Trust me. Right. So, um, you know, I didn't think anything of it. I took the car, I put it in my pocket to get the guy away from me. You know, I figured I was, he wasn't going to leave me alone unless I just at least took the car and walked away. Right. So I took the car, I walked away, put it in my pocket, didn't think anything of it. Uh, the school year goes on and on and on. And I have a buddy. We started cutting Fridays. We started cutting school on Fridays because we figured, hey, we went all week. So Friday would be like a day off. So we started cutting Fridays. Then we would cut on Mondays to kind of like get our minds back right back from the weekend, you know, and then Mondays, Monday, and Tuesday. So essentially it became like a 90 day period where we stopped going to school. So my mother came up to me in about May. By that time, I was so bad. I was in so much trouble. My parents really didn't even, my mother just, all my mother said was, you better graduate because you have to move out. That's it. Yeah. You know, so they weren't really checking with me to see, you know, anything other than they just wanted me to graduate and move out. My mom called me in May and she said, so what do your grades look like? Because I hadn't even seen a report card. I stopped showing them my report cards. I mean, they were. So my mother said, are you going to graduate? So I got to tell you, I haven't been to school in about three months. Um, so we had a huge fight. I left the house. Um, I had nowhere to go. So I ended up staying at my buddy in my buddy's car. His parents wouldn't let me in the house because I was such bad news. Yeah. So I did that for about a week and I'd had enough. I tried to come home. Now, mind you, I told you my father had been in a motorcycle accident. So they had converted our whole downstairs into our whole back room and downstairs into like a makeshift hospital room for him. I mean, he literally he was in a coma and they broke every bone in his body. He was a slow recovery. So you have this man that used to be about 260 pounds, this big barrel chested biker. He now is about 160 pounds and he's got this like, you know, kind of crazed lunatic punk son. Yeah. You know, so of course he's worried about himself too, because, you know, so he had the door locked and I was pounding on the door and I was like, let me in. I'm sick of this. I want my stuff. I want, you know, and he said, I'm not going to let you in until you tell me, you know, he's yelling through the door. I'm yeah. not going to let you in until you tell me what you're going to do when you graduate. If you, you know, after high school and I said, I'm going to go to college. He said, I'm not, we're not paying for college. You don't even go to school now. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I said, um, I'll get a job. And he said, that's great. If you get a job, you better start looking for an apartment because you can't stay here now. So very frustrated. I remember saying, dad, what do you want me to do? And sure enough, they must have in, in the process of doing my, doing the laundry that year, they found that recruiter card. My father slid it under the door and I picked it up and I looked at it and I said, all right, okay. And I walked straight to the recruiting station and uh, walked in and said, I want to be, I was like the easiest sell for the Marine Corps. I said, I want to be a Marine. And uh, I didn't put any thought into the service. I didn't look at any other branches of the service. I had never spoken to a recruiter. I didn't weigh, you know, options, job options between the Army, the Navy, the Coast Guard, the Air Force, nothing. I had no idea. He handed me the Marine card. The Marine was the only one that I had spoken to that year. I walked right in and said, I want to be a Marine. Okay, I'm dying. I mean, like, this is the purpose of this whole entire podcast, because in my mind, I thought like, this is the dream that you had, like to be a Marine. And the fact that life's biggest pivots are what like inspires me in major ways. So, I mean, you went from here completely to like, no discipline, like running here, there and everywhere. Like, what was joining the Marines like? Because I feel like you had to jump into that. And Either A, my guess is that you like flourished and you like all of a sudden loved discipline and like all the things or B, you were there and you were like, what the hell am I doing? It was a little bit of both. So like I said, I was like very, very disciplined and my father was a biker. So I grew up kind of like uh, corporal punishment. Yeah. Okay. So I came up under corporal punishment. So the military at the time, you know, I mean, I didn't join super long ago, but there was still fairly rough treatment at boot camp. So getting someone putting their hands on you and stuff like that was, I, I was used to that, you know, my, you know, like I was by no means abused, but like, um, yeah. you know, my dad would, you know, you weren't afraid of it. No. So being physically corrected for making a mistake was, was something that I was very much used to. Um, what was hard for me when I joined the Marines was my father was so massive. So I, I think, uh, kind of associated with discipline was being able to like, you know, you got to be able to kick my ass. Right. So my dad can kick my yeah. dad was huge. Right. So, but yeah. sometimes you have a Marine sergeant who's half your size and he's a drill instructor and he's in a position of authority over you, you know, and he may put a, you know, a boot to your backside because you're moving slow and you turn around and you're like, you know, you little bastard. Like, you know, I, you know, you, you, so my attitude, I, I have terrible yeah. body language. Uh, my wife will tell you that now, like if something's bothering me, you can read it all over my face. You can, you know, yeah. Um, I grit my teeth, I, you know, I, you know, I do all those things. So I was like, like public enemy. I was the number one target for drill instructors. Um, when I went to recruit training, it was very difficult. I mean, not physically, not mentally, 
was because I could not check my attitude and they had a field day with me when I was there, like a field day, field day. I was like, I was like a source of entertainment. Do you remember the transition? Like, do you remember that moment where it was like you were against, against it or pushing against the grain to where you were like, okay, this is, this is where I want to be. Or did that not come? It didn't come at boot camp. So what happened was, is that after boot camp, boot camp kind of washed over me because like I said, the physical discipline piece, my father was very, very strict. Um, so that wasn't a problem. You know, maybe having someone put their hands on you, that wasn't a problem. Um, so really I was able to get through boot camp, but what happened was I felt no allegiance to the Marines. I didn't feel any pride in being in a, being a Marine. I kind of felt like I made this very rash decision. So I, I would worry all the time about what was going on at home and what my friends were up to. So what ended up happening was in the Marines, there's a process. You go through boot camp, you come out of boot camp and you go through your job training school, right? Yeah. So I picked, I picked infantry, right? So I was an infantry guy in the Marines. I got assigned, I was a machine gunner. So I went through infantry training. Once infantry training's over, they assign you to your unit, right? So that's when you go like, that's like a normal, it's not a normal job, but it's, there's less supervision. You're not being formally trained anymore. You're finally at, you're finally at the end. You're where yeah. you're supposed to be. And you're going to do your next four years in that unit. You're going to either fight, deploy, you're doing whatever. That's, that's the, that's the destination, right? So boot camp was the beginning of the journey. This unit now is your destination. You finally made it. You don't have drill instructors yelling at you. You know, you just have regular sergeants. It's, it's just, it's the military now. Um, the first weekend that they gave us off, I went AWOL. Okay. So, you, go. <laughs> you, I, uh, you know, this predates like where everybody having cell phones and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. I was a guy drove me home. We, you know, when you would get released in Cambridge, I was in Cambridge, North Carolina, and they had a big weekend. You know, they said it was, a, it was an extended weekend. It was a government holiday. So what happened is you'd walk to the parking lot and people would start yelling out states that they were from. So a guy was like, I'm from South Jersey. You know, I was like, I'm from Philadelphia. And he's like, get in. So you would get in, you'd not know this person and you would split gas. Them. You'd help this guy pay gas and be driving. He would drop you off at the closest rest stop to your home and then say, be here on Monday, you know, at this time. And I'll pick you up and we'll head back to Camp Lejeune, right? You didn't have cell phones or anything like that. Um, you just had to be there. I never showed up. Yeah. So the Marines called my house the very next day and were like, your son's missing. You know, my dad freaked out. and was like, yeah, you know, my dad thought the Marine Corps was going to send like an FBI SWAT team type thing to come to the house and drag me out. So my dad's like, get out, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so I got into a lot of trouble Yeah. when I came back. Um. So what happened? Like, I have no idea. Like, what does okay. mean? Like, okay, so, what happened, so what happened was this. So what happened was this. I got, I already knew I was late. I already knew I was in trouble. So I figured, why not stretch this out a couple more days? So yeah. I came back. Like, might, as well, might as well have a good time before you, like, have to answer the bell. Sure. So I, I came all the way back on a bus from Philadelphia to Jacksonville, North Carolina. And when I got there, um... My company first sergeant. So that's a Marine. That's a guy that's been in the Marine Corps for about 20 years. His sole job is discipline. Okay. He was there to greet me with three sergeants. And the second I stepped off the bus in, you know, in the middle of town in Jackson at a Greyhound bus stop, this first sergeant and three sergeants were all over me in public, like screaming at me, you know, making me grab my stuff. And people are so used to that in that town because it's a military town that nobody thinks anything of it. I quickly grabbed my things. They threw me in a white government van and they took me back to base. Um, and then when they did, um, I was immediately uh, put up for punishment. So what happens is you go and see your captain. The captain leads a company of 150 Marines. The captain decides your fate. So basically it's like a, it's like, it's like a trial, you know, Hey, you've been accused of this. Uh, how do you plead? I plead guilty. All right. Step out of the room and they decide your punishment. At the time, the Marine Corps had, they got rid of it, but at the time they had this thing called correctional custody unit where you would go and it was like a hard labor. Yeah. Where you would break rocks all day. So they could award you 30 days. They called awarding you to not punishment. You're awarded 30 days at correctional custody unit. So I was really, really afraid of that. So I had a break. So in were, you were scared in this moment. You were like a little bit like, Shh. I didn't know it, that thing existed. So I was standing in my trial, you know, my, my, my punishment and. I was kind of like, 
my head was cocked and I was kind of yeah. sneering at the captain. And he was, he said, I ought to send you to CCU. Do you even know what that is? And I said, no, I don't know what correctional custody unit is. And he started laughing and he was like, see, you don't even know what you're doing. And he's like, well, let me explain what that is to you. And when he explained to me breaking rocks for 30 days, um, and in Campbell's unit at the time, that correctional custody unit, it was like so degrading. You yeah. would, they would, you would eat at the same mess hall that your buddies would be in. You would come in and they would have to run at high knees and they would have to respond. If they were given a command, they'd have to bark like a dog. So, yeah. so it was like, Real you broke rocks all day. And all your and, and it was designed because all your friends see you. So they see the tough yeah. guy. They see the guy that's like, you know, not getting with the program that acts too cool to do, do the right thing. Then they see him running around like, a, like an idiot and barking like a dog. Um, yeah. kind of, it's a, it's a visual deterrent to everybody else. So once he explained what that was all about, like my stomach, I was like, Oh no, you know, like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no this could not be good. No. So, um, he, but he, he took mercy on me and he said, you're not, he said, you're still so new. I'd only been in the unit for like two weeks. He said, you're still so new. I'm not going to do that. I don't even think you know what you're doing. So he put me on basically what's called restriction. So it's two weeks. You can't leave your room for two weeks. Um, and they take like half months of your pay. So I was, I was basically grounded and half my pay was taken for a month. Um, and then I remember thinking, uh, everybody started talking to me in the Marines. If you screw up or you, you're disloyal, you get a reputation and no one's nice to you. Yeah. So I started getting like harassed by the guys in the unit and it got so bad for me to get like getting harassed that I, I started to develop a chip on my shoulder where it was like, uh, I'll show you. Right. right. So that's where I started to come back in and really, really attack my, my you know, being a Marine and uh, committing myself to this almost as a form of revenge at first. It was yeah, a form of revenge. The, all the, people- the pivot. Like I will show you that I'm twice what you, I will be twice what you are right now. Cause you're giving me a hard time. Right, 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 right. So no one gets to define like your self-worth. Yes. Or keep making you relive a mistake. So I thought that in the Marines, the best way to get revenge is to outperform everybody because you can't just punch your sergeant. It's going to end bad for you. So the best way to get revenge is to outperform the same guy that's harassing you and telling you that you suck. Right. Uh, So that's how it started for me. Okay. I love this. And I feel like I am kind of like that in life with all things like, okay, you think I can't, I will show you I can. Okay. So then what did you do a tour or anything like after I that? Did. You did. I've done, um, God, I've done five to Iraq, two to Afghanistan and two to Okinawa. Okay. That's insane. Okay. So what is that? when you think about that, those moments, like obviously Afghanistan, we've been like Iraq, those were full blown, everything going on. Like, yes. do you look back at that time? Do you have like immense pride about that? Do you feel like, did you lose people? Like what feelings do you have about those times that you've done that? I think um, it, it's, it's very complex. So I, in 2003, I was part of the invasion of Iraq. Okay. So I was a machine gunner uh, at that time. So basically, so I tell you the story about how I got in all that trouble. I outworked these guys to the point that by a year later, I was in charge of all. I love it. Right. So I got promoted quickly, you know, all this Amazing. stuff. So by 2003, I was leading a 22-man uh, machine gun. Um, they call it a section, but it's, it's, it's six machine guns and 22 Marines and I'm in charge of all of them. So, um, they called me a Christmas. So the thought of going to war was like, not even in anybody's mind, you know, when September, when September 11th happened, I was training and they called over the radio, get back to, you know, this area where we're all going to consolidate. And they said, we got back and our captain says, America has been attacked. I'm like, yeah, sure. America has been attacked and the enemy's right over there. Right. We're going to go, you know. Yeah. He said, he said, America has been attacked, grab your stuff. So we grabbed our stuff and we start hiking back to, um, our barracks and we were 10 miles away. So we do like a 10 mile hike back and we're all looking at each other. And we're like, when's the scenario going to begin? When's the training going to start? You know, cause we thought it was, a, you know, we got back to the barracks and we turned in our weapons and we we're like, this is really odd, but still people were like, this is a really good training event. Like we don't know what's happening. And yeah. then somebody finally turned on the news. We had like a TV uh, in a common area and they were playing that loop. So I watched the Marine Corps go from, you know, basically like a peaceful place 
you know, basically a place where for a very long time, especially during the nineties, was a place for young men and, and young women um, to kind of get their lives together and learn some discipline. But, but that's yeah. it. Wear a uniform yes. to go back to a war footing. Um, so 2003, we invaded Iraq. That for me was just a lot of unknown. I was not, I was 20 years old, uh, 21 years old, not really knowing what was going on. And I was kind of trying to, the only idea that I had of war was what people told me about. There were guys there that had done Desert Storm and things like that that were kind of explaining right. it. So I was kind of looking at it from that perspective. All I remember from that was we slept in a hole every night. Yeah. You know, you, you dig a hole every night to keep yourself safe from enemy fire. Um, we didn't bathe for about four months. Um, yeah. And not, I, don't, I don't know how you do that. We did that. But going back later on in Iraq, that's where it kind of got nasty. So we didn't lose anybody on that tour. Um, then I got out of the Marine Corps and came back in. Um, okay. And when I did, that's when. Iraq really started to get crazy because at the beginning we were just fighting Saddam Hussein and his army and they were very demotivated. They were conscripted. They were drafted. They're basically drafted guys untrained, handed a rifle and told like, stay here and fight. And yeah. They were very untrained. Once we beat them, that's where like Al Qaeda and, you know, all the terrorism started to take place because when we got rid of Saddam, there was a huge power vacuum. So all these, you know, groups come in and I went to a place called Fallujah, which was like ground zero for, um, al-qaeda in iraq um isis now yeah basically formed there um and that wasn't so much a war as it was um you know uh they wouldn't stand and fight with you they would put a bomb in a in trash you know what i mean they would yeah. you know very rarely would they come and try to fight with you i mean they would at times but it was just a nasty dirty place for fighting yeah. right i'm not calling iraq a nasty dirty place i'm just calling that the, the type of fighting it was. Right. So that was where, um, that my, when I went back to Iraq, that was where I had my first experience with like losing, you know, Marines. And that was like another, I have never personally lost a Marine that I was physically in charge of. I've right. lost Marines in my platoon. Right. That's, you know, there's three squads in a platoon. I was in charge of one squad. I've seen Marines die in the other two squads, not my yes. squad. Um, but, uh, we had a, we had a, we had an attack and, um, no one had died at that point and we would like young men we would always kind of say like oh you know when, when's the enemy gonna start shooting i hope i get into a firefight today because you're like 22 years old and you're like beating your chest and you want to experience yeah. war and um we had three kids get hit um and uh we did the we have to evacuate them from the battlefield and my squad was like the one that had to do it so two marines were what happened was a marine was walking and uh the patrol was walking and saw marines and a guy pulled up in a vehicle and he was in a trunk of the vehicle and they had a holes ruled out and he had a sniper rifle so he was shooting he shot the marine the last marine and the, and the patrol and then what he was doing was as the marines were coming out to try to save him he was shooting the rest of them in the head um so guys were running out trying to save their buddy and they're getting killed as well you know um so we caught three guys that way and he shot another guy in the chest so what happened was, was i had to do their evacuation so as they're pulling them out um you know, you're, you're basically saying this one's dead, this one's dead, this one's dead, this one's still alive. The other guy had been shot in the chest, he was still alive. So we bring these guys back to a surgical unit right outside Pelusia. Um, immediately, um, they called because another Marine had been shot in the head. So my guy, I was giving blood for the guy that was shot in the chest for a blood transfusion. So my squad had to leave without me. So now I'm worried because I got a bunch of young guys out there without my leadership and they're going back out into the city. So I'm sitting there and, you know, I got the tubes in me and they're doing this blood transfusion. I'm giving blood for this transfusion for this guy. And about 40 minutes goes by and I, I see my, my guys coming back in. And what ended up happening was they pulled this kid, pulled the kid that was shot off the battlefield. Um, in turn, uh, the enemy took out, shot the tires out from their Humvees. They roll on the rims to the nearest um, Iraqi police station, steal an Iraqi police truck at gunpoint. Um my, my, one of my guys does an emergency tracheotomy on this kid because his jaw was blown off. Um, Gosh. and they bring him back and not to get too graphic. So anyway, the point that I'm getting to with this though is, is that I was a senior guy back. So what happens is they have to identify casualties before they ship them home. Right. So they would make me go into a back room and they would unzip a bag and you'd be 22 years old. And you would say, yes, that's Lance Corporal Lundstrom. And they would zip it up and make you step back out. And they would say, they are ready for you again. You come back and they would unzip a bag and you'd say, you know, that's, yes, that's Lance Corporal Jacobs. So that moment for me was probably a life-changing moment as well as my career as a Marine because that was like, it can't get worse than that. 
right? So that's the end result of war. That's that's what happens. Uh, that's what you stand to lose. And I kind of resolved myself that day to do everything humanly possible uh, while I was in charge to ensure that I, you know, I would never have to do that for anybody that I was personally responsible for. Right. Um, and where that burden. So leadership and motivation, obviously, are two things that like I thrive off in, of in life. And everything you're saying is about leadership. And obviously, in a crazy way, even though it's about war, like it's the motivation that goes into showing up and doing all the things when you're basically facing death for yourself. You think about the people at home or whatever. What does leadership look like in? I mean, listen, I know that you have to be able to roll with the punches and pivot, but I think saying that in life, being a leader and pivoting and leading your team through something, you know, from a business standpoint is completely different than as a leader making split second decisions that have the potential to lose someone or something like that. Like what does being a leader look like in such a high intense situation like that? I think you have to resign yourself to the fact that um, there could potentially be a disastrous outcome. Right. But you have to look at the fact that this disastrous outcome, does this come from an apathetic mindset? Does this come from me not putting the effort in? Does this come from me not caring enough? Does this come from me not doing my due diligence to make sure I'm prepared um, and making a calculated, taking a calculated risk? Um, all of those things. So I look at it like this. It was, it was, I would say I would have, I would be able to look, I don't, people ask me all the time, like, do you have a, you know, I'm around veterans and, and, you know, through my Instagram, I talk to a lot of guys that are struggling because of, you know, maybe something that they've witnessed, they've seen mistakes that they've made that resulted in loss of lives, things that they've seen on the battlefield. And for me, my conscience is clear because I know that I did everything. I can look myself in the mirror and say, in that moment, did you do what you thought was right? Did you take a shortcut? Did you take the easy way out? Did you? And as long as I can say no, 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 every single time, you know, I sleep very well at night because that means you've done your job. So for us, it kind of comes with that. And it also comes with sharing the risk. You have to share the risk, right? So if I'm going to ask you to do something, then I had better have demonstrated that I can not only do it, but I can do it better than you or I, or if I'm going to hold you to a standard, I better demonstrate every single day that I hold myself to the exact same standards that I asked that you meet. Totally. Um, because the second that you don't do that, you become a hypocrite, right? Because people always- goes across the board in life. Like if you're going to ask, like showing up for what you say for all of the people, regardless of what the organization looks like matters. Right. And I mean, I've done combat and I just got done a two-year tour on recruiting, which is sales. You know, right. so sometimes I'll talk to me and my wife will talk and, you know, it's kind of like we're, we're, she's, I wish, I wish, my, I wish my wife worked as a Marine recruiter with me because the things that yeah. she talks about where you create a culture of winning um, and how to take care of people, how to foster initiative, how to, you know, how to support initiative, how to, you know, some of the ideas and some of the things that she was doing with her team. I was like, wow, I wish my recruiters would do this with each other. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're like, cause you're like, it's truly an art. It's truly an art. And, and yeah. she'll say things that I'm like, wow, I didn't even think oh, that's a great idea. Right. And I would take that back to work and apply it in the Marine, you know? Yeah. But um, with the high stress stuff, you, the only way that you can survive and the only way that you can effectively lead is by doing that. Right. So you're never going to have all the answers. You're never going to, you don't have a crystal ball and see how it, the story is going to play out. All you can do is make sure that through every phase of either the operation or the sales pitch or the campaign or whatever, right? You are doing exactly what you're asking everybody else to do, you know? Um, And that's always, that's always. So for a motivation standpoint, even, I mean, when you're in a hole for four months and you haven't had, I mean, you're in a hole and for four months you haven't had a shower and you're looking all these things in the face. Is your motivation the camaraderie and the the unit or is your motivation why you're there because there has to be moments and listen it doesn't matter um politics or if you think we should have been in iraq or not or whatever i'm saying like if is the motivation what's behind being there or is the motivation your unit 
I think in situations like that where you're at your most miserable or everybody's starting to doubt or whatever, what ends up happening is you forget all about uh, why you're there. The reason why you're there, you're just, you're filthy, you're miserable. Uh, for me, all I kept dreaming about was Dunkin' Donuts coffee and the air conditioner unit in my mom's house. Um, yeah. So what, what motivates you? There is always in one organization, in an organization, doesn't matter if it's in the Marine Corps or sales organization, anywhere, there's always usually one individual that like exudes strength and confidence that when, when times are at their lowest, that everybody can kind of rally around, right? Yeah. So that person becomes the, I guess the, the barometer or the thermostat for the morale of the unit, right? So you start looking at that person and you go, well, wow, you know, like if McVeigh's up this morning with a smile on her face, you know what I mean? Or she, you know, she's still doing her job, like then damn it, I'm going to do mine too. Right. So there, there are always, you know, that's, that's the best part about all of this is that like in, in a combat environment or in the Marine Corps, when it's such extremes, it brings out the extremes in people. Right. Right. So you will see some leadership comes from, from some very unlikely sources. And those types of people are the ones that everybody else rally around to get through these very trying and difficult times. Doesn't matter if it's four months without a shower or, you know, six months and you haven't sold, you know, one thing, right? Totally. You, You see, you see that one person that still gets up every day and does exactly what they're supposed to do. And is you know, motivated to do it. You kind of, say, well, if they can do it, then damn it, I'm going to do it too, right? So that's kind of what got us through. That's the motivation in those moments is rallying around those key individuals um, that do that, right? And so in my life, I've always tried to, because believe me, when I was 20 years, 21 years old, I yeah. probably wasn't the guy, right? I wasn't right. The, the, the person that people were rallying around, right? I saw that we had a couple of key individuals that we did. And, you know, when I left, I would say to myself, like, I want to be like that person later on. Right. I want to be the one that even when I, like, trust me, there are plenty of days. Uh, we just did two years living apart, my wife and I. I know. Right. I- right. So there would be plenty of days, right. Um, you know, where you're like very demotivated to be in that environment, to be away from your family, to, you know, and you, where you just have to like, go into work because everybody's looking at you to be that person, right? That's, you know, has the, has the, brings their A game every day, right? You you are required to, right? So seeing that at a young age has has kind of made me want to be that type of person for everybody else. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the motivation in the moment, right? When times get the worst, right? You rally around an individual. Yeah. So being a recruiter, um, I mean, I look at it and your life could be, you could be in a completely different place if the Marines had not come into your world. Yes. Like there's this space where it was like, it could go two ways, right? Like obviously something else might could have happened that would have pivoted you, but the Marines had a huge piece in that. I'm sure as a recruiter, when you're out there recruiting, do you find yourself looking for the one that needs knocked down to build back up to be in this certain space or are you just recruiting and open to all people but opening to share your story in the sense that what it did for your life like what is the behind recruiting and i would think recruiting for this is different and hard in the sense there are all these amazing pros like i actually know someone that some people that in the 90s did this right and like they got There's so many things that they got from housing to education to incredible things that set them up for life, like set their journey up, right? Um, But then there's also the hard parts, like the world is kind of like unsettled in lots of ways right now. And you just spent two years away from your wife. Like, how is it like, okay, like sign right here on the dotted line. And we don't know what's happening in Ukraine and Russia. And the world's kind of a little unsettled. And these are all the terrible things that could happen. And you're, you might spend a lot of time away from people you love. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's so many pros, but there's also a lot of things. And you said, like, you mentioned at one point, I always share the the real, like you go into it saying like, this is what the real picture of it is. Um, so what does that look like to recruit? So it's, it's, so you're absolutely right. The world is totally, there's so many different societal things going on in the world nowadays. I'm not big about, I mean, in my private life, I may comment to my wife kind of about, uh, kids today and stuff like that. That's been said since for forever. Right. Yeah. Um, 
But there, it really is, I, I guess what it would come down to is there is no forcing function for adulthood anymore. Um, yeah. So, you know, like I told you, like my parents were like, the ultimatum was 18 and out, bro. You know, so yeah. you're like, I may yeah. have had no interest in the military, but the military used to get a lot of people like that because, you know, they had nowhere else to go, right? You know, so um, that's kind of why, like, also, like on a side note, my wife, like when people are always like, thank you for your service. It's like, well, I'm not like some like knight. This wasn't my, I wasn't like, you know, dubbed and this wasn't always my path. I was like about to flunk out of high school, you know? Um, so there's, so, so basically what you have is when you do talk to a high school senior that may, first of all, we don't recruit any one person. We screen everyone, right? Because okay. there's no, there's no stereotypical, I mean, there is, I guess, people, when people think Marine, they, they probably think of a certain thing. Everybody has their own mental image when, when you think United States Marine Corps. But there was a general that told this great story about how he was in a recruiting office and this disheveled female came in and she was about 26 years old and she was homeless. And he looked at the recruiter and was like, like you know, get her out of here, right? And the recruiter worked with her and she came back from boot camp and she was like, the honor graduate. And she went on to do great things in the Marine Corps. So he's like, at face value, you can't tell what makes a good Marine, right? Just yeah. like anywhere else in the business world. You, somebody can talk totally. all day long, but you cannot tell how they're going to respond to stress or how they're going to do until they actually do, right? So, right. and it can come from the most unlikely places. So we don't recruit any one type of individual. We screen everybody, but there is no adult forcing function. So when you're talking to anyone, it's like, what's your plan after high school? They're like, well, I don't know. And you got mom and dad that fully support someone living in their basement until they're 30 years old, you know? Yeah. Watch, you know, so like that, so that, that, that bar, that bargaining chip is removed from the table. Um, COVID vaccines, not getting the COVID vaccine, wanting the COVID vaccine. I don't like Joe Biden. I like Trump. I don't like Trump. I like, you know, so many different sure. things are designed to like polarize. So when you, and especially I was recruiting in the Midwest, so you go to places in North Dakota where the kids were like, my dad told me that, you know, um, the Marines will be out here in six months forcing everybody to get the COVID shot, and, you know, at gunpoint. Yeah. It's not how this is, you know, yeah. but, um, so you've got that, I guess for me though, with the sales thing. So I, I have just tried to exemplify the brand, right? Yeah. So at the end of the day, the Marine Corps markets discipline, personal discipline, physical fitness, um, you know, and, you know, excellence, right? War fighting excellence, excellence, right? So you're going to, so the military image, someone has a Marine, someone's probably physically fit, square jawed, certain type of haircut, sharp uniform, you know. So I turn around and say, I'm just going to, I'm going to market the brand the best of my ability, right? So I'm not going to placate to, you know, some kid likes video games. I'm not going to go ahead and study video games and try to get on his level and say, hey man, I was playing. I basically say like, this is what the Marines are all about. If you want to know what, it, what it's like to be a Marine, look no further, you, you know, do you, yeah. want, you know, and you know, it deters some people, but I would argue that those are the type of people we don't want anyway. You know, if you don't want the person that you know, is looking for something bigger, looking to challenge themselves and is kind of looking to have their needs. The military is not a place to have your needs met, right? Yeah. You meet the military's needs, that's opposite, right? Perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. So that's kind of how I looked at it. I said, you know, I can come up with all sorts of crazy, you know, slogans or whatever, just market the brand because to the world, the Marine Corps is a 1996 Honda Civic. I believe it to be a Porsche, right? Yes. And I got to be able to convince you that it's a Porsche, but to the average Joe walking by, just like me, when I was 18, I was like, the Marine Corps? Are you kidding me? Yeah. You know, people still see me now and they're like, on a Saturday, they're like, what are you doing? They let you out? You're like, I'm not in prison, man. But people think that the Marine Corps is just like, you know, a war camp or something where you're locked up and they only let you out if it's time to go fight somewhere. You know, it's like, yeah. so. So do you have immense pride that this is what, I mean, I know, I mean, I follow your Instagram and I follow your wife's journey as a military wife. Mm -hmm. I think she does an amazing, beautiful job. Look, I'm going to get teary eyed. Why is that? Like, I have no idea. I'm going to cry. But like, she does such a beautiful job of one, raising two kids and doing that when you guys are apart. Um, and thankfully that looks is going to look different, I think in your future, yeah. but also showing, um, how proud she is of what you do every single day and just kind of really the aspect of what being a military wife looks like. Um, because regardless if you get to live together, things change or you have to do weekends away or whatever. Um, you know, do you have immense pride in, not only the fact that this is the way you've lived your life, but also 
the family relationship dynamics, even when there's hard, hard times, because I know that that has to be the case. Um, do you feel proud that this is the way, what you've chosen? I think that our, basically, are you talking about the path that my family chose or the path? Yeah, of being or a the path that you chose, I guess, as a Marine. I look at it like this. I, I choose, I feel like, um, for me personally, I don't know if this sounds incredibly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a dumb masculine thing to say. Um, but I'm trying to, you always want one better, right? So I'm a junior, right? My father is, you know, senior, right? My father comes from, uh, group homes, um, uh, doesn't know his family, you know, had to work very, very, very hard to get a home in the suburbs and a decent education for his kids. His brothers and sisters are all, you know, kind of life is just, you know, they have not been able to overcome that. Right. So he was able to crawl and scratch his way out of the, out of Philadelphia to get a spot in the suburbs, you know, and took the elevated the name one further. Right. So I look at, I want my son and my daughter to be able to say one day, um, you know, they do right now, right. My daddy does this. This is what my dad does. Yeah. Right. Or my dad, you know, my dad's done that or, Hey dad, and be kind of proud, not of my achievements, but maybe the path that I chose and, 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 and the standards that I've, I've chosen to live my life by just that, not the accomplishments on the wall, not, Hey, one time my dad said this happened to him, but basically like daddy dedicated his life to, but more importantly, that's only, and my wife, you know, does a very good job of, of keeping me grounded in this. What I do is only impressive to my kids because if I can come home at the end of each day and kind of check that, right. Um, yeah. My daughter saw a video of me addressing a large group of Marines. She started laughing and she thought that I was acting, right? Because it was a video of me. I was being very, I was like very motivating young men, right? So I'm very aggressive. There might've been a few curse words, right? Yeah. In my chest, and a little, ah, you know, yeah. my daughter, it was outside my daughter's, you know, the realm of possibilities that her father could ever act now. Right. Yeah. So I think that what I'm proud of is that perhaps one day when this is all said and done, Maybe someone will stop them on Camp Pendleton, or maybe somebody will say, I serve with your old man. And they're going to say, like, man, that guy was, you know, and they're going to go, really? Dad? Yeah. You know, that guy? Right? Yeah. Um, and I also think it's very good that my, I have the type of wife that my wife's a military spouse, but that's not like her identity. Totally agree. So she. She's a badass she's a, in her own right. Right. And, you know, and it's been very, very difficult for her to find her space when she's dealing with a man who has a job that basically dic dictates his comings and goings. Yes. You know, sometimes at the last minute. So what's more impressive is that I hope that these kids can look one day and say that there's two people. I'm sure these, you know, our, our kids have seen us stressed out before, right? But they, my daughter, my son, one day when they're having families of their own, right? And they're going through their own trials and tribulations, they can turn around and maybe at least take reference and, and look at the fact that like mom and dad used to do this, like they lived apart for two years, right? Or, you know, dad used to, you know, fly in from Minnesota just to go trick or treating with us and fly out the next day, right? Like yeah. the fact that we battled to maintain some sort of um, regular uh, regularity in their yeah. lives, right? And on top of that is, as much as she stretched in, my wife turns every single day and every single event into these kids into like just magic, right? So these kids have an expectation every day that something special is going to happen. Mommy makes miracles happen. You know, my daughter is always the most put together and she's in a performance, right? So my wife will spend hours making sure she's got the perfect makeup to this, to this. Yes. You know? So no expense is spared on my kids. Um, and hopefully they can look back on that and say that this was done by, and I'm going to talk about me, a woman who had literally did all this on her own, man. Plus, yeah. plus, plus her job, a career path, you know, all these yeah. things. And, you know, when it's all said and done, I want them to be able to look back and think about, how good their life was and maybe what their parents uh, were dealing with or what their parents had to push through in order to make, to give them that sort of work. So no, I love that. Okay. So overall, I mean, it's exactly, it's not exactly what the journey that I thought I would hear, but I feel like it's exactly what I thought I would get in the sense that I feel freaking motivated. I feel like showing up and giving excellence every day I feel like kind of being the hype person in those moments of struggle in all aspects of life. Um, and even when you're not the hype person or in those moments looking for that person, like knowing like, 
I need to see the person so that I can show up for myself too. And then I love even the concept of one leadership in the moment of what you, what you go through. Like it's insane and crazy. And two, like, even as a parent, regardless, if you are, look at what you're doing with your life, it's insane. I I always look to the military. I think I don't have well, I was going to say I don't have any family in the military, which is very shameful that I'm saying that because m- both of my grandfathers were, but they were both in World War II and they weren't, they didn't talk about it. It wasn't something they were like in the midst of everything and it wasn't something that they really talked about. Um, but we have the pictures and we have all of the things, but I never grew up around a military family, I should say. And the fact that what you do or even what Danielle does, like it doesn't define you. Um, and it's more that you want your kids to know that you show up the way you show up in life and the things that you do are ultimately for them. Altogether. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So if you were going to wrap on one thing and it doesn't have to be one thing, but, um, you know, everyone's life gives them a couple like major life lessons. And I think the military probably gave you a lot. Like, what would you want to leave our listeners with today um, that you feel like you've learned from this path? And I love that that's the way I love that you shared um, your story and the way that you grew up. But like, what would you, what do you think have been the two biggest lessons that, or one or however many you want that you really would want to share with the listeners just in life? I think that right now we exist in a world where excuses are the we always try to just there's an excuse for everything and you know we need to do a better job of empathizing with the human by sympathizing right when you empathize it's kind of like yeah i understand you're going through a really difficult time right now but that doesn't negate you from your responsibility or negate you from accomplishing you know life doesn't absolve you of your responsibilities right and life happens every day um so we've got to remove that that the way, the, the way out, whether it's in business or in a military organization, because we deal with it too. It's like, hey, you need to do what you said you were going to do, right? Personal accountability and barring, an, barring a tragic circumstance, right? But, you know, the fact that, you know, you're having trouble sleeping or maybe, you know, you were sick for a couple of days or whatever. This doesn't mean you get to stop moving. You can't, there is no excuse to stop moving forward and making progress every single day, right? I tell Marines this all the time. Your boss at Home Depot will not care about whether or not you had a fight with your wife last night. He's just going to care about what time you clocked in at, right? And the second you turn around and you try to say to him, well, like, you don't understand, boss. Like, you know, my yeah. wife are going through, it's just like, hey, you're fine. I understand, man, but you're fired, you're fired, right? So yeah. there's that. Um, I would probably say that if you're going to be in a business where you're coaching, teaching, or mentoring people, you have to understand that eventually at some point it's going to come down to you will end up having to criticize an individual's performance right and you know whether it's construct hopefully it's constructive criticism right 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 but with any form of criticism the first the knee-jerk reaction to an individual is that the first thing they're going to look at when you tell them something that's hard for them to hear they're going to start looking you up and down looking at your performance looking at your history and trying to figure out a way to say to to kind of um absolve themselves of your opinion, right? They're going to say, how dare you tell, say that about me, right? Because you, and they're going to come up with something that you yeah. screwed up on or the time you showed up late or just that, whatever, right? So we need to make sure that if we're in the business of teaching, coding, coaching, mentoring, or leading people, or, or we're, we need to take that responsibility very, very heavily. We need to take, we need to look at the fact that, yeah, we're going to, we may end up having to sit down with a, with a coworker and basically debrief them on their performance and point out their weak points and how they can get better. And if we're not demonstrating that we do the same, we hold ourselves to the same standard every day, that your, your, your advice, your opinion is going to wash right over them. It's going to go in one ear and out the other because they're going to look you up and down and in their brain, they're going to check out and they're going to identify you and label you as a hypocrite. And they're not going to, you're not worth following. Um, you don't practice what you preach. Um, and lastly, like actions speak louder than words. Um, my wife and I, you know, talk about this all the time, right? Because men and women have different love languages. Yes. Right. So in the Marine, right. Yeah. In the Marine Corps, um, actions speak louder than words, right? So you may not get a whole lot of like, I love yous and, you know, this, this, this. You're going to get a whole lot of actions though, right? Whether yes. that's, you know, running to grab you Starbucks first thing in the morning to hand it to you, right? Or, you know, you know, doing all these things, right? Actions, actions, actions. So for me, yeah. I think in a business sense, actions speak louder than words, right? So that person that talks a big game, that person that talks about all the things that they're going to go do, it's like, hey, that's great. But the bottom line speaks the loudest. 
what have yeah. you done? I'm sick of hearing about what you're going to do. Yeah. What have you done? Right. Um, right. And how can you make this organization better? Point to me and show me the tangible proof or the tangible results that you've accomplished because all I hear are words, right? So words are meaningless unless the actions are behind. Okay. Listen, I'm, I want to have you on again someday. I think this is so great. So amazing. I'm glad that we finally made this happen. I am definitely going to share your Instagram because I, I mean, I obviously don't know much, but every message, the way that you write it, um, just give such a little snapshot and a picture. I loved the one just recently. I'm a huge analogy person and it wasn't an analogy. It was an actual thing, but carrying the law <laughs> on the shoulders oh, right. the Marines, and you were talking about the weight. if everyone's carrying it, you, you know, but then you start to feel where the weight's going and I'm going to, I'm going to post it because I want everyone to follow, um, your Instagram. You were so amazing and so great. I, I, I think the two of you should do a podcast together on motivation, leadership, coaching, showing up action. Like I'm all here for it. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep pushing that because I think you guys, you guys would be dynamic together doing that. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you. All right. Thank you, Kelly. Have a good day. All right. Bye. All right. Thanks so much to Don for carving out the time and uh, lending us his wisdom. Such a such a great story. Hold on, Bean. Wait for Mama. Okay. <laughs> Bean likes to talk and sing in the background now. Uh, if you please honor us with a five star rating and review where you get your podcast, just smash that five stars and leave us a sentence or two. It means the world to us. We will highlight you on our website. Um, and if you just love the sound of my voice, you can also check out the expecting aerialist, which is about, um, motherhood, postpartum, prenatal, all that. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you to Asa Watkins, sound engineer. And thank you to Digitant Podcasts, our our family of health and wellness podcasts. Go ahead and check them out. They're also linked in the show notes. You can check out um, some meditation podcasts. Podcasts are running. And um, a, a lot of amazing, amazing resources there. So thank you for being here over and out. We'll see you guys next time. This is Greener Grass. Bye.